Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and this episode is with Rachel Potter, who you might remember as originating Wednesday Adams in the Adams Family, opposite B.B. Newirth, Brooke Shields, and Nathan Lane, and so many others. She was also in Evita, and now is a Nashville, a very accomplished Nashville recording artist, and... This episode was so interesting to me because she got real with me in a way that I really didn't expect that we don't get into a lot on this podcast, which is uh, a little bit about religion. Um, She was raised very religious and ended up, due to some circumstances that we talked about, kind of like questioning her faith and going off on different ways. And she ended up landing some of the best performing gigs and singing gigs of her life when she didn't go in worrying about them or or trying to imitate somebody else who had already done the role in advance. She just went in and was herself. And we hear that over and over again in the in the final three questions that I ask people at the end of every episode. A lot of what we hear is advice of just going in and making strong choices, being yourself. What makes you different is what makes you special. Like this is the through line. And Rachel is is another wonderful, wonderful example of this. So As always, before we get into it, please visit me online at theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter on Facebook at slash official theater podcast. Show your support for this podcast via ttp.fm slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And now everybody, please enjoy this episode with Rachel Potter. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Here you go. One, two, three. My guest today is both a Broadway star and an accomplished Nashville recording artist. She made her Broadway debut as Wednesday Adams in The Adams Family, playing opposite both Bibi Newirth and Brooke Shields as Morticia. Then she originated the role of the mistress in the Tony-nominated revival of Avita, starring Ricky Martin and Michael Cerveris. She is featured on the original Broadway cast recording, singing her standout song, Another Suitcase in Another Hall. She has also had the honor of touring with the smash hit, Wicked, where she understudied the ever-popular Glinda. She appeared on season three of The X Factor and is now part of the Broadway Buskers concert series produced virtually this year by the Times Square Alliance. Rachel Potter, welcome to the Theater Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope that that did you justice. I, I, For the record, I did plagiarize some of that from your website, and then I, I took a little liberty in the end. So I hope it, would, I hope it did you justice. I think that was... Perfect. If you stole it from something I wrote, then I love it. You just stroked my ego. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about, uh, I think I was searching online, you were born in New Orleans. Tell me about like where, where you were born and where I you was. grew up. I was. I was born in New Orleans and I love to claim it, but I really grew up in Seminole, Florida because we moved there when I was like, one. 
So just still a, a young chap. Um, and we moved to Seminole, which is essentially young people and old people. There's nothing in between. So um, we were part of this, you know, cute little new subdivision and everybody was young families. And I grew up in the same neighborhood in a cul-de-sac my whole life and lived there until I went to college. So it was a very uh, cute little suburban existence. <laughs> and about, and I- about 10 minutes from the beach, which was the best part about it. Because when we would skip school, we went to the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was also born in New Orleans. Oh, cool. And lived there till I was five. Haven't been back since, which I think is a big detriment to my adult life. And uh, and then moved to Clearwater, Florida. So I've got the New Whoa. Orleans to Florida parallel with now, you. No, I, I grew up going to Baptist Church in Clearwater, Florida. I went to Cal- oh, really? Calvary Baptist Church. That's where I sang my first solo ever at the ripe age of three. Um, yeah, <laughs> there wow. is photos to prove this. Um, yeah, my best friend, Jamie Ray, uh, of Voctive, of the infamous uh, um, acapella group Voctive, he is a brilliant mind, and I got to sing with him when we were three years old. And his mom held the microphone for us. <laughs> oh, I, I think my five-and-a-half-year-old would not do that. My my four-year-old, whose birthday is right around the corner, my th- well, he's three, he's about to be four, um, would love to do it because he's the little hand. Aww. but. I, like this was the year I was like this summer when school's out we're gonna do we're gonna do piano lessons and we're gonna do like some sports and athletics and then like now we're stuck inside here in Brooklyn for who knows how long yeah and this is ridiculous and you're in but you're in Nashville now I know we skipped over like the middle school high school college years and we'll come back to okay. that but but COVID COVID quarantine right now you have gone back to Nashville yeah. yes so my family and I saved our money. My husband and my, I have a three-year-old boy named Jude and um, spent the better part of 2019 preparing for our move to New York in 2020. So February 1st, we moved to New York, um, got a great sublet in Hoboken and about a month and 10 days later, we're in complete lockdown quarantine. Yeah. So my, you know, my husband was, was looking for a job and it was just the worst timing ever. I know everyone was affected in some way, but, um, you know, it seemed like all signs were pointing to moving back. I was like, wow, all the doors are flying open. This is meant to be God's pointing all these signs. And then, (laughs) nope. So, uh, yeah, disappointed to say the least, but we decided the best thing for now was to come back to Nashville um, just for the sake of, the mental health of my son. He was, he was struggling a lot with, you know, mm-hmm. all, such a huge change. And then COVID on top of it was just a lot for the little guy. So we came back to Nashville. So here I am. Yeah. I don't, I don't blame you. My, yeah. The, the, the kids that I see of my kids peer, the kids that are my kids peers that don't have a sibling and like, you know, it depends on, on how, how courageous, the parents are they're like can we just do like a socially distance play date or something like my kids are just going nuts yeah. and then I've, I've been lucky I realized how fortunate it is that that they are so close in age and they have each other because they can play for 
for the most part by themselves, like together for most of the days. So my wife and I are able to work, but I realize that that is yeah. very rare that's and lucky. fortunate. But that's really lucky. Yeah. We um, once yeah. we got back to Nashville, you know, we sort of like created a quarantine circle of the people that you know we felt good about being around, and one of those is his best friend, who's a four-year-old girl. So. Thank God for that. Because <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was he was going crazy. He was just so scared. You know, that was it, it was he really couldn't understand it. And when we would go outside, he all of a sudden wasn't allowed to get near people. Or if he saw their children, mm-hmm. he couldn't play with them and people were wearing masks. And it was just like I can't imagine what that looked like through the eyes of a three year old. It was kind of ap- apocalyptic. So uh, my my three year old tells me. I know this is so far off topic from theater performing, but I love it. My three my three almost four year old like almost every other every other night. He's like, Daddy, when the coronavirus is over, can we go back to Mexico? Because <laughs> <laughs> the last the last vacation we took in February was to Cancun. Aww. So he misses he just misses traveling and all that. Yeah. Like, can we go back to Mexico? I want to go to the pool. Yeah. <laughs> like oh. I I know. So obviously, okay. So you're in Nashville, mm-hmm. left, you were in Nashville, left and came back. And so, but let's go back to the, the earlier story of, you know, started singing in church and then like, where did the performing stuff start to roll into your life after that? Sure. So yeah, I guess where I got my start was was church. I sang in the choir and my first solo, like I said, was when I was three with my little choir, you know, on the on the steps of the church. And it just kind of progressed, I guess, a little bit incrementally from there. And when I was 10, um, I sang this solo we in that Baptist church in in uh Clearwater was known for its Christmas spectaculars, you know they rented sets from Disney and it was this whole thing. And so this one year I sang a solo when I was 10, I did Jingle Bell Rock with two people dressed as a horse. And (laughs) the video is priceless because I was terrified of that goddamn horse. I was terrified of it. And it was two people inside. I knew it was two people, but I was so scared of it. And you can see it all over my face on the stage. Like every time it moves closer to me, I'm like scooting over. (laughs) But I remember, you know, kind of feeling that rush. That was the first time where I was like, oh, this is something cool. This is something special, you know. And then after that, I got involved with chorus. So I was in like show choirs and, and like, you know, auditioned special traveling show choirs and just choruses in my school because we had a great music program in my suburban Seminole public schools. Um, So yeah, I did that all through middle school and high school and continued to sing in church. And I wrote songs. And at that time, all I was really inspired by was like God stuff because I didn't really have any sort of experience in life otherwise. So I started writing songs and that led into a record deal, and that's some hard air quotes around record deal, but it was a, a man who was uh, loved music and he had a studio and created a record label, again with the air quotes, uh, in in Seminole, Florida. And he was awesome and he, he was very supportive of my music. So when I was 15, I made a, a Christian album um, and it's, I hope no one looks it up because it's, uh, 
very embarrassing to say the least. Um, you know, what was funny about that, that project was that they just sort of looked at me as like, so gifted, like, oh my gosh, look, this 15 year old can write these songs and wow, you're so creative. Let's take everything that you write and put it down exactly as you wrote it and not edit it in any way. (laughs) Wow. Wow. Okay. So, you know, I think I could have really benefited from some co-write action at that point to kind of (laughs) guide me and mold me, but you know, it was limited resources. So that album is 100% Rachel Potter at 15 years old, but um, it lives on, on the internet. (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, any brave people out there no, want to find it, send it my don't. way. Please uh, well, so then, like, started in church. Did you did you start, like, I was going to ask about, um, like, a religious upbringing and sort of that, that background mm-hmm. and whatnot. Um, but then I was like, oh, maybe she's not, like, I don't know how I'm immersed in it because you were like, I'm scared of that goddamn horse. So if you were like... Yeah. 100%. So I kind I, of into religion would you say that would you say goddamn? No, yeah, I would not consider myself religious in any way anymore. And that is a Really? That is a that's a long conversation, but um there was a lot that happened in my teens and early 20s that really caused me to start questioning um and threw up a lot of red flags, just some stuff that had happened. And you know, one thing was a really interesting uh, thing that I've circled back to now as a grown woman that happened. Um, I was really outcasted because I, wait for it, had sex before marriage. I know, I know. Um, and there was a woman who I took voice lessons from who said that God woke her up in the middle of the night and told her that the reason I couldn't move past this ex of mine was because I had had sex with him, premarital sex. And she Mm. confronted my best friend who also took voice lessons from her. And my best friend like cried and confessed what I had done to this woman who was just (laughs) being a nosy busybody, right? Now as a grown up, I'm like, I would never be that invested in some teenage girl's life, but you know, whatever to each their own. So this woman then turned around and told the pastor of the church and he was new. He was the college pastor. I didn't know him. You know, I'd been in that church for a long, long time, but I had just moved into the college group because I just graduated high school and I was supposed to do a concert for the college group and do my Christian music. Right. And called me into his office and told me that I couldn't perform. And, uh, he said, I wasn't, I wasn't welcome to perform because this had come to their attention. And so I, you know, too embarrassed to bring my mother uh, in with me over this. I brought my Bible study teacher who knew that this had happened. And, you know, I already lived with tremendous guilt over it because I was indoctrinated from the time I was tiny, that that was not okay. Mm-hmm. And I already was very, I was living in huge shame over it, Right. But this man who was grown sat there and asked me to recount all the details of my sexual experience with my high school boyfriend, like every act that I had done with him, et cetera. And it really wasn't until I was older that I was like, whoa. Not cool. No, like that was super messed up. That was 
that was crossing some major lines. That's uh, that's some Me Too stuff right there. Um, and so, Oof. yeah, and isn't that crazy? But, you know, this kind of religious stuff gets real blurry because they're doing it in the name of God and purity and, you know, the what's best for you. And it's literal horseshit. You know, people are still creeps and... <laughs> sexual deviance, even though they have a title, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> I am, I, I am somewhere between agnostic and atheist. And, I'd say I'm the same. Yeah. So like, I want to believe that there is a connection, a spiritual connection between people, but I know there's like a scientific explanation. It's pheromones and chemicals and, you know, oxytocin, when you're looking at people, you fall in love because your brain is releasing things and we're chemically falling in love with our cell phones because it gives us the same satisfaction, mm -hmm. blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah. So it's all there. It's all science. Well, I guess we can leave yeah. it at that, but. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, things progressed in that way that I, so I'm a, I was a political science minor. And so I entered college as like a, you know, conservative, sheltered Christian Republican. And I left as a, liberal, atheist, Democrat. And I, I think that a lot of things kind of uh, contributed to that. And, but a lot of it was just questioning. You know, all of a sudden I was immersed. Also, I worked for Disney World. So that's when I, and I guess we should go back. I never did theater, ever, ever, ever. I, the theater crew in my school was like, eh, no, those guys can seem kind of weird. Like, why are they always giving each other back massages? <laughs> <laughs> which is true <laughs> so I just was like not that was not my my bag and I went to college in Orlando at UCF and I was working at the mall you know like trying to make ends meet and somebody said you should go audition for Disney you can get like a great job and it's so easy you can still go to college and like make really good money because I was totally on my own I put myself through college and I did it all on scholarships, you know, and working. So <laughs> I went and auditioned, but knowing nothing about theater, I went to the Disney audition. I sang a Christian song and my headshot was like me holding a microphone. <laughs> my resume, which is the best part, was like, I've worked at The Gap and my job duties were folding clothes and being a cashier. My type speed is 160 words per minute. Like I literally Googled resume and that was the resume. You put it in the other business, business yeah, resume. Yeah, I made yeah. a business resume and I took it in to the Disney equity auditions. <laughs> 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 and I quickly realized that my resume looked different than all the other girls sitting around me and I'm pretty outgoing. So, you know, at some point I asked somebody to see theirs and I was like oh my god what have I done but they I'm sure they got a good chuckle out of it I've never talked to any of them about it uh, though some of them are still my friends to this day but I'd love to know if they remember that um, <laughs> but they still gave me a call back because I was little tiny Disney princess sounding girl you know so they gave me a call back for Ariel and um, I didn't get the job right away. I think it was like six months. I kept going every month that they had the audition and I progressively changed my resume and my headshot got better and I learned a thing or two or about a thing or two. And then finally, uh, they offered me the job. 
so when I got the job at Disney, that was my first theater thing. And I was singing as the Little Mermaid at Hollywood Studios. And they offered me my equity card. And I didn't know what that was. Wow, all. first job. Yeah, first job. Was an equity job. And I didn't... And I remember the equity rep sat down with me and said, you know, do you want to take your card? And I was like, I don't know, do I? Can you tell me? Any, is this good? <laughs> and uh, years later, I would come to realize it was the best decision I ever made. But, you know. Wow. What, what were you originally in college for? Um, so, so that's what I, I was going in for. I, I talked to them about going in the music program, but when I had my music auditions for the music program, just to major in like vocal performance, they were interviewing me and they're like, so what do you think you want to do with your life? And, you know, do you want to like go into opera and yada, da, da. And I was like, no, I think this will probably be like more of a hobby. Like maybe I'll do some recording art stuff and work at Disney. I don't know. Maybe like. (laughs) I was so not like, yes, absolutely. You know, I didn't know what to do. I had no, no clue what to say in those things. I was just flying by the seat of my pants. And, you know, I was, I think I was just a little too flighty for them. They were like, oh no, flight risk. She's not serious enough. So I minored, minored in political science and I, I majored in advertising and PR because I just, Wow. Yeah, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just thought, well, this seems like a good idea, I guess, if I can't do music. And uh, and so I guess I should mention I started at community college. So I just did like a general two years. And then when I went to UCF, that's when um, I auditioned for the voice program. And then I also auditioned for the theater program. And when I talked to them, they were like, great. So we're, you're great. We like you. But all those two years that you just did at community college that count for two years of college normally don't count for us. So you're going to have to start from scratch. And I was like, bye. No, like I want to get the F out of here. So that was how advertising and PR was born. So I just, I pieced out of um, anything performance related and I just worked full time at Disney World. So that was really my training was Disney World. So many people have done that. And and what, I mean, at what point did you start, like, make the decision of saying, all right, I want to be a, I'm going to take this seriously. I want to go to Nashville of all places and do country very specifically. Mm -hmm. And, and then, and then also was, was it a, a sort of a sequential thing or parallel tracks to actually get on Broadway in the Adams family? Okay, yes. So, but I wanted to I wanted to loop this back that um that was like entering entering college as this very conservative person and leaving also had a lot to do with that time that I spent at Disney because all of a sudden I was plopped in a cast with a majority of gay men who I never knew any of those types of people before. It was my first yeah, so it was my first experience with with the homosexual community, any LGBT of any kind, LGBTQ. Um, you know, I met my first lesbian friends and my first gay friends, and I was really curious. You know, just so curious about who are you? Are you so you're not like a bad person? Wait, wait a minute. 
I really like you. Like, you seem awesome. Hold on. Hold on. I need to know more, you know. (laughs) So uh, that started really confusing me and really challenging what I had been told my whole life, you know. And so that that began the crack in the armor, I guess, uh, along with what had happened, you know, being sort of ostracized by my church for my own sexual sins. Um, and then I just threw myself right into the fire and I started going to gay bars with all these new friends of mine and just learned about them and asked them questions about their childhood and, you know, and God, they were just so generous. Now looking back, like they were so generous with my ignorance, you know, Mm -hmm. that they would just spend the time to help educate me and allow me to develop new opinions, you know, just based on their individual stories. And I'm forever grateful for that. Wow. Yeah. I, I had similar, I guess when I moved to North Carolina in middle school and had something sort of similar where I was, I was ostracized. It's different being a guy because you can kind of get away with a lot more, mm-hmm. unfortunately. And <laughs> yeah. And so I was ostracized though, because I did not go to church with the girls that I was dating. So the parents would like, would think I was just a horrible person without ever meeting me because I didn't like, they didn't accept me because I wasn't part of them. And then I was on the outside, like, I thought that this was supposed to be like all accepting, just generally sort of a nice scenario. How come they're making me feel like crap? Like this doesn't make sense. And so any sort of curiosity I had or any willingness to participate kind of just went out the window because I was like, this seems so hypocritical. I don't want to be part of this. And this was me in like seventh, eighth, ninth grade. Yeah, Yeah, the hypocrisy was something that uh, struck me hard and fast when I turned 18 and saw a lot of things that had happened, you know. I'd had one man in particular uh, really come down hard on me about um, premarital sex and stuff. And he was in the, in the church um, band, uh, you know, the worship team. And it came out later that he was having an affair with another woman on the worship team. And it was just <laughs> like, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was, it was that kind of stuff that was just like, oh, okay, so these people are full of shit. Got it. Got it. (laughs) You know, and I mean, I know everybody's doing the best that they can. And as a parent now, it's like, you don't really know what you're doing. And we all think about our parents as superheroes. And the truth is now that we are those people to our own children, it's like, oh no, we're just completely imperfect, just taking it a day at a time with no plans. I'm just reading articles like crazy. Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm looking at this at, as sort of like, a, like, I, I don't want to tell them what to do and I don't want to tell them what to think my kids. And what I'm trying to do is to get them to always question, be, to always be curious. Mm-hmm. And actually my older one now he he's developed a habit of he'll ask me some questions and I'll, you know, I'll think about it. And they're good questions and I'll give him an answer, you know, and I show him pictures of, there was like a, a, 
a modified picture of of um, a video of the Milky Way where where the the Milky Way galaxy was stabilized, and you so you could see the Earth rotating um, with the Milky Way galaxy staying stationary behind it. So I was like trying to sh- illustrate to him that you know the Earth spins, and he knew that, and he's like, you know, what the biggest thing in the world is the galaxy. Ha ha ha! It's a big thing. So like he's he's starting to think about this stuff, but I I'm I'm going off on a tangent, but he said. Or he, he after he'll talk talk to me about stuff and ask me questions. He always ends it. He's like, "Daddy, was that were those good questions? Was that a good question?" Aww. And it's like, like, yeah, those were really good questions. Never stop asking questions. Like that's what what always I'm trying to get into his head. And and they're getting they get confident. Like I've seen them grow in their confidence by being reinforced when we reward them for asking questions. At period, not specifically what the question is that mm-hmm. they've asked about, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. So yeah, it's, I, I just, I wish I had that growing up. I had some rather, a rather strange relationship with my parents off and on just feeling not like a whole person at certain points. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. And it's, I think that we're, our children at least are lucky to be, raised by this generation because I think that we're a generation of, of, uh, question askers, you know, and, and Mm -hmm. that we were really the first generation to really buck the system in so many ways and reject the status quo. And, uh, I think that that's a really good thing for our kids and who knows, maybe it'll turn out to be horrible. (laughs) We'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I hope I hope that we're just encouraging them, you know, that to be true to themselves and and really just live in in whatever they are and and just and nurture it. You know, my son's really into dinosaurs and mm. bugs and stuff, and I'm just like, oh god, I don't want to talk about another freaking dinosaur, please. But at the same time, like I'm all about dinosaurs too. You know, I'm all in with him and. Yeah, and I know every name. Yeah, and he asks me, you know, he says, "Mommy, what's this one?" That's a Parasaurolophus, son. You know, so it's like this is <laughs> this is my daily routine. And you know, I don't want to, I don't want to look at bugs. I don't want to go outside and pick up bugs, but like he does, so we're doing it. And and I'm going to nurture that curiosity as long as possible. And and it, it breaks my heart sometimes, like you know, because we're in the south, so there's a lot of sameness of like what we grew up with, I guess, that still exists even in moms today. And we were in Target the other day and I was I was getting him a a dinosaur and he was like talking to this mom with her kids that was standing behind us and he's like, look, this is a, you know, this is a dinosaur. This is a Mosasaurus. Like, isn't this cool? And the mom was like, just wouldn't speak to him. And I said, honey, it's so it's okay to be so excited about that, but sometimes not everybody's going to be as excited about stuff as we are. But that's okay because we're really excited about it, you know. And it's like you just gotta you gotta stay on your island with your people and <laughs> just tell them that it's okay to be who they are. And hopefully, people aren't going to be assholes when they go out into the world and show them. Well, some of it, some of it, you know, nature nurture. Some people are going to be assholes. You know, hopefully we can do our best. But I, I want, I want to bring this back okay. to the the Adams family, Nashville, like the performing side of this, mm-hmm. right? Like, 
what was first? Did you try to go to New York and do Broadway first, or did you go to Nashville and do the indie thing first? And then, of course, there's X Factor in there somewhere. Yes, yes. So, so I always loved country music growing up. Like a lot of people dreamt about like the Broadway show that they were going to star in, and I grew up listening to country music. I, I latched onto it early on for some reason, um, along with a lot of R and B. So I like loved, loved, loved Mariah Carey and Whitney Houston and some R and B singers. Um, that were like gospel R&B because of course I was in the church. So I heard a lot of that too. But then there was something about country that always drew me in. And I loved like Faith Hill and I would like scour the inside covers of her records and read every word and um, and Leanne Rimes and Susie Boggess and the Dixie Chicks and like all these women who I just, I loved their storytelling. And that's really where I think the the draw was for me was that it was kind of theatrical in a lot of ways. You know, that, that that's where I found a link later that I just love the art of storytelling and music. And, and and country music really did that in my mind. So I used to design my album covers when I was a kid. Like I remember being seven years old and, and designing, like telling my mom what I wanted my country album cover to look like. <laughs> and I just never had theater on my radar. You know, it was just never, never really something that I was exposed to or like really desired until I was a little older. So it was more of a detour, to be honest. And so I, I was in college, I was working at Disney World. So I went on to I Sang as Belle and the Beauty and the Beast show at Hollywood Studios. And I was in the high school musical shows and hoop de doo Review. And then I also played Nemo in the Finding Nemo musical there. So I was like doing all these different shows at Disney World. And I just felt like, okay, I've done everything I want to do here. It's time to move on. And I graduated with my little advertising and PR degree. <laughs> <laughs> I have yet to fall back on it, P.S. Um, and though I use my political science degree a lot in my fights on Facebook. So that's something, you know, getting a little use out of that degree. <laughs> I stay off of Facebook. <sighs> I do. I can't do yeah, it anymore. I, I, I need to. I get... To be honest, this is just sidebar. I have really started to check myself because when I get into any sort of conversation that is heated in, on Facebook, I take it very personally and I, I get emotionally worked up like it's in person. Like I'm having a, a debate with somebody in person or like an argument or confrontation. And so I really have to stop because it like <laughs> really upsets me. I'm just, not healthy. It's not. not healthy for your, yeah, you're stuck at home and you, yeah, it's just a written form is just so bad to argue anyway. That's so true. Because you can't, because you can't hear tone. Mm -hmm. That's so true. Anyway, I digress. So uh, when I graduated from college, I just decided to go give this a shot. And, and I took my little equity card um, and I decided to move up. But before that all happened, Legally Blonde, the search for Elle Woods happened. Mm -hmm. So it was the summer I was graduating in, in like the end of the summer term. And at the beginning of that summer, they had, uh, or the beginning of that year, they had had these auditions for Elle Woods in the new Legally Blonde Search for Elle Woods show on MTV. And I had gone to New York. I had started flying up like whenever I could with my little equity card, like the year before I graduated. And I would fly up and go to these EPAs and ECCs with my union card. And, you know, it was ridiculous because I thought that's how you booked a Broadway show was that you just went to these chorus calls and that's how it worked. Ha. And so I, <laughs> <laughs> so I would, 
you know, spend all this money on flights and hotels and stuff and stand out there at six in the morning and go sing 16 bars and yeah, cutie. What a cutie, little green, little green cutie. Um, so this one day though, I guess, I guess my story is that it actually can pay off. I went to catch me if you can, and it was a total bust. Like, you know, they weren't looking for me. They were not interested. It was a plan, you know, it was like a required call and they didn't care. And I was so disappointed and I walked out of the room and it it was at Telsey and next door, they were doing an audition for Leap of Faith. And the only thing I was right for, and I wasn't even, it was, was for a 35 year old woman. And I was at the time 22. So, and I looked about 15 still. So, but whatever, I went in because there wasn't a line. So Pat Goodwin, who's still with Telsey, was there. And I was like, hey, so 16 bars? And he's like, no, girl, nobody's here. Sing a whole song. (laughs) (laughs) So I sang a whole song. And he like, I'll never forget it, threw his binder down on the table. And he said, where have you been? He's like, I love you. I'm going to give you to so-and-so and so-and-so. And and I just, I am so happy I met you. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. (laughs) And so the next thing I knew, I got a call to come back in for Next to Normal before Broadway, when it was going to be at Lincoln, uh, uh, Kennedy Center. Yeah. Yeah. So I came back up a couple of times for Next to Normal to understudy Natalie. And I got down to the final three. And I mean, it was just a stroke of like absolute luck because I had no idea what I was doing. Um, And I got to the final callback and it was, you know, the whole team was there. Bernie Telsey was in the room and the other two girls that were in the waiting room there for the final callback were both Broadway veterans, like, and me, like little Disney chick that had nothing, no idea. I still lived in Orlando. And um, from that, Bernie Telsey called me and said, hey, you're not getting this job, but I've got this reality show and I think you'd be good for it. I want you to go to the audition in Orlando and you'll be a ringer. So you just have to show up. You're getting through no matter what. Just go show up. They'll film. Go show up and sing. Yeah. So I went and got through, of course. And so then that was like February. I went up to New York and we filmed this Legally Blonde Search for Elwood's most bizarre (laughs) experience ever. And, um, you know, it was such a long day. I think we got there at like six in the morning and we were like dancing all day and singing. And I got kicked off on the first episode, but I, they made like this really lovely send off for me. Like they kind of made a thing of it and it didn't air till like June. And I graduated in August or whatever. So in June, they air it. And the next day, an agent called me, um, from, Don Bookwald and Associates and said, do you have an agent? I just saw you on this TV show. I was like, no. <laughs> like, do you want one? <laughs> and I said, yeah. So uh, I got to move to New York with my equity card and an agent, which was crazy. So I moved in, in September after, after I graduated from college and started auditioning right away. And I did not book one thing for a year. That's about uh-huh. right. I got dropped. I waitressed. I I did bottle service. I worked at Hooters briefly. That was another conversation. 
<laughs> ridiculous decision that I did. Um, yeah, just like pounded the pavement. And then uh, my agent dropped me after a year of not booking anything. Mm. And um, my friend Scott Allen, who's a composer, I had done, he was doing a thing back then called Monday Night's New Voices. Do you remember that? Mm-mm, okay, no. that was how a lot a lot of us kind of got discovered or came into the scene was Scott's Monday Night New Voices. He would do his new works at the duplex and he'd bring in these unknowns to sing his stuff. And uh, so I did that and then he recommended me to another agent and I, I went on with that agent. And during this time, while waitressing, I'm like going all all these tangents. I hope it's okay. No, I am fascinated. Okay. I am. <laughs> I'm just fascinated because everybody's story is so unique, yeah. and it's like the best stories are like, "Well, I, I didn't really want this. I didn't try for it, and all of a sudden, I've got this great thing." Right. Like, please continue. Okay. This okay. is awesome. So, so yeah. I had tried to work at Ellen's Stardust Diner as a as a waitress because I had a lot of friends that worked there, and I also had a callback for American Idol, like right after I got hired there. I didn't make it, by the way, but I had a callback. <laughs> um, and I was like, hey, you know, I've done a day of training or whatever. I, I want to go to this thing and, and see if I can go to this callback for American Idol. And they're like, no, you can't go. I was like, but, 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 but like everybody in this is a singer. Like this is everybody's dream. Like you're not going to let me go to this callback. And they're like, no. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I quit then. And so, <laughs> but... They still claim me in their tip bucket speeches for years. I'm looking at you, Ellen. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, but when I came back, one of the managers who I'd known was like, that was stupid. Why don't you come downstairs and work in the jazz club down below at the Iridium? So I did. So I started working as a waitress down there. And in that time, I met all these musicians. And I started hearing them talk about, oh, I've got this wedding gig, da-da-da. And I was like, hey, I could do that. Like, what do you guys know about this? What, these wedding gigs? Like, could I be a wedding singer? I'm like, yeah, here's so-and-so's name. So I went, I had a car in the city because I was a crazy person. And um, I drove myself to Long Island for an audition with Hank Lane. And I got the job. And I started gigging every weekend, like twice a weekend with this, with this wedding band and met all these amazing musicians. And I swear this was where my life pivoted. Because I all of a sudden learned how to sing like myself rather than imitating somebody else. Oh, right, right. Because Disney wants you to be a sound. Mm -hmm. And then I thought Broadway wanted me to be a sound too. You know, so it was always, well, if I'm auditioning for Elphaba, I need to sound like Idina Menzel, you know. Or if it's Glenda, I need to sound like Kristen Chenoweth, et cetera. You know, and the list goes on. So it was imitation and not truth and authenticity. And so I started playing because, you know, at a wedding, nobody's really paying attention to you, your background noise. So I'm with these world-class musicians and I'm just having having a ball, getting to like play around, singing jazz, you know, singing all these pop songs. And that's when I really felt like I found my sound. And I had I had gone in for Wicked seven or eight times at this point uh, for Alphaba. Never got past the callback. It was, you know, just felt like it was never going to happen. I was very frustrated at that point. I was like, this is, 
this is pointless. I'm like, I'm not going back. And I called my mom and I said, I think I'm ready to give up New York and, and move to Nashville. It was like a year and a half in, like, what was me, you know? And I got a call from my agents because I got a new one, thanks to Scott. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, he's like, hey, they want to see you for Wicked. And I'm like, no, really? Again? He's like, but this time, Glenda. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess I'll go. And so I... I worked really hard. So I'm not going to I'm not going to act like I didn't work hard on it. I I knew that that material like the back of my hand. It was it was I was breathing it at that point. But I decided to not care. Like once I got in the room, I was going to throw all all of it out the window and just stop being so freaked out about everything and like so uptight. I was just going to not give a shit once I walked through the door. And I put on every piece of rhinestone jewelry that I could find. And I bought this little light blue cocktail dress and I wore sequin heels and like full face and curled my hair. And I remember being in the waiting room and there was a girl who, you know, looked like she was perfect for Glenda. Like blonde, pretty pink dress, Laduca dance shoes. And she looked me up and down and went, And I just smiled politely and I was like, bitch, watch this. And then I went in there and I I left it all behind. You know, I left it all at the door. And I had the time of my life. I'll never forget like how much fun I had in that audition. And I got the job that day. And she didn't. And she didn't. Yeah. (laughs) So you should never judge anyone in an audition room, people. Um, because they'll remember it and talk about it on a podcast later. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was my first job. I understudied Glenda, and I was in the I was in the on the uh, ensemble, and I got to go on a pretty good amount, and it was really awesome. Um, just made some lifelong friends, and we're all still super tight to this day, you know. Um, and to me, that was like. Disney and that tour, that was like my college years, you know? That was where my sorority fraternity stuff really happened. It was it was those bonds that lasted forever for me. It's hard. It's it's I've said this before on so many episodes that it's I equate it to a form of trauma almost, although trauma it's like mm-hmm. that has a negative connotation, no, but it's it's severe emotional attachment and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. To be good at your job, you have to open yourself up and you just get bonded to these people. And again, it's the chemical release in your brain, mm-hmm. right? So like you're singing and the vibrations and the audience and the cheers and the and you know, like mm-hmm. everything you're you're eating and breathing and traveling with these people for however long right. it is, and you get to know them so well. Yeah, right. it is. I think it is you know, a form of that. It's like, hello, nice to but, meet you. And now we have no boundaries, you know? So it's just right. immediately right. we're we're very intimate. So it's uh, it's like summer camp, every show that you do. It's like very, very intimate. But. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Yeah, I did Kaniki once. I did Grease once. I was Kaniki. And then like it was like, hello, Rizzo. Now we have to make out for three pages. Yeah. And that's a long time to kiss somebody that you're not very well acquainted yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. So we got well acquainted quickly. Those are, we those are some of the most awkward things is like the first kiss. I, when I started Wednesday rehearsals, which we'll get to because I have a good story about that audition that I, I think is really funny. Um, 
But when I went into my first rehearsal with Jesse Swenson uh, playing Lucas, he's like, do you want to just, let's just kiss the first time and just get it over with. And I was like, okay, yeah, let's just do that. <laughs> so like the very first time we read it together, we just went ahead and kissed and it was like, all right, well, that's over. You know, now we can just do it every time. <clears throat> but um, so I was on the road with Wicked for a long while and uh, understudying Glenda and just living my life. And they, uh, that my agents called and said that they want to uh, see me for Wednesday. I was like, Wednesday? Really? And I'd never seen the show. And I was like in Ohio or something. And so I was like, well, let me see if I can find anything. And I found like this bootleg of Krista singing. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, I guess. Well, let me like look up some flights and see how much it is. And I found this really cheap flight. But I had to drive after my Sunday night evening show I had to drive four hours to get to the airport to get this ticket that was like an unbelievably good price. And it was like halfway to our next city. So I was like, okay, I can do that. I'll just drive there, get on the flight, fly out, come back, drive the the rest of the way to the next city. So after our show, this all seemed like a great plan. We get out at like 11. I get on the road thinking, oh, I'll get there at like three in the morning and I'll sleep in the car for a few hours. And That'll be great. There was a blizzard and I'm from Florida. So I literally drove, (laughs) it was supposed to be four and it took me eight hours to get there because I had to drive, you know, half as slow. Right, right. And I I drove behind a salt truck the whole way there because it was like white out. But I was determined I was going to get to this callback for Wednesday. Like I'm getting there. So... I I remember I got off the exit for the airport and I was like, I hope this is a road. I can't tell if this is a road still. I think it is. So I'm try- I was like going by my GPS, like whether or not I was on the road or not. And I, same thing when I got in the parking lot, there was like two feet of ground or two feet of snow on the ground. And I was like, I think this is a parking spot. I'm going to just assume it is. So by the time I got there, it was time to get on the plane. So I got no sleep. And so I get on the plane and I sleep for whatever the flight was, an hour and a half. And I get get to the city and I go to Marty's house, my best friend Marty and Thomas, and I go to his house and I take a shower and I go straight to the audition. So I swear if I had gotten a full night's sleep, I don't know that I would have gotten that job because I walked in like that. (laughs) (laughs) I walked in looking looking depressed like Wednesday I had the look down um so yeah that was that was my Broadway debut they called me um one morning and told me I got the job and I jumped up and down with my wicked castmates and put my put my two weeks in and went back to New York wow so cool I got to be on a billboard in Times Square and taxi cabs and it was crazy. So, so then, search for Elwood, yeah, and Adam's family, and then when, so then, X Factor and Evita, like Evita was on on Broadway, mm-hmm. and then X Factor, obviously not. But like, walk me through then, what's going on next? Okay, so Adam's family is coming to a close. We got our notice that we were going to close on like. New Year's Eve of 2000. What was that? 
2011, I guess. Is that right? Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Because we started Avita in 2012. So um, it was October and rewind to like February of 2011. I had had an audition for the mistress in Evita. Well, remember, I'm not like a theater person, so I don't know everything about theater. And my only experience with Evita was the Madonna movie, okay? <clears throat> so I had a sinus infection, number one. Number two, I didn't learn the song. Number three, I thought that I was a, like auditioning for the role Madonna played because I'm a complete moron. <laughs> so <laughs> I go in there in like a flamenco dress with like so much makeup, my hair on, like the my hair up, like the, these really cool shoes. Like I dress like Ava, right? I go in there, I'm holding the music, like not off book, like a total dweeb. And I sounded bad because I was sick. So it was like, meh, not getting a call back. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's, that was dumb. I don't even know why I went in for that. So that was February. So then fast forward to October and they had done like a worldwide search for the mistress, okay? Like they had had open casting calls where you didn't have to even be union. They had done searches in other cities. Like, and there was this article about they still haven't found the mistress. And I read it and it was just like one of those heart pricks that was like, that's because it's for me. It was the craziest thing but I just had this knowing that I was like, that's my job. So I had a great relationship with Craig Burns, still do, over at Telsey. And I sent him a message and I said, Craig, you know, I, I hope this isn't completely inappropriate, but I, I was sick and I didn't do well the last time. I didn't know what I was doing. And if you think that this is an okay idea, if this is okay with you, I would really like to come back in. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So this time I came in, no makeup, hair looked like I just fell out of bed with a nightgown on with no bra and barefoot. And I, <laughs> and I decided that this time, um, or just with this song, I decided to really make it my own because that was what I had kind of done with Wednesday. You know, I totally, I changed the ending because Cresta always mm. mixed the end and I decided I was going to belt the end. And that was like how I was different. So with this operatic, like legit Broadway song, I decided I was going to the first stanza, sing it head voice, like more legit. The second stanza, I was going to mix it. And the third, I was going to belt it. Because why not? <laughs> they could always tell me to stop. Make your choice. Yeah. yeah, make your choice. So I learned it backwards and forwards. And I made this really strong choice. And I got the job. Um, so that was that was incredible because I got to originate, you know, which was such a dream. It's always our dream, right? Like you get to originate a role. And, a, you know, it was a revival, of course, but <clears throat> it meant that I got to be on the cast recording and I got to meet Andrew Lloyd Webber. And he um, he walked up to me after the opening night and shook my hand and said, beautifully sung and I was like oh my god <laughs> what? so I mean I can die happy right it was like it was a dream and those people that that became like another family you know we still have a Facebook group and it's been so many years but we still all talk to each other and 
we had a big Zoom conference, you know, hangout um, during COVID. So it's uh, it was it was an experience of a lifetime. And that's so cool. yeah, all from this church girl who didn't know anything about theater ten years prior, you know. So so then so then gosh, there's so much more I want to talk about. Um, so I I know like X Factor season three that that was the the clip I watched is actually a little bit harsh. Um, oh God, was it where, the four chair challenge? Yeah, Ugh. yeah, it was the clip on your website. No, the four chair challenge is not on my website. Yeah, it is. It is. Because no it was at the bottom of the page where I plagiarized your bio. Are you sure? I think. I'm pretty, I yeah. I think that it you was, probably definitely... watched the initial audition, the first audition, where it was like, when I sang Somebody to Love. Or yeah, your challenge, it, it I wish was... would die and go to hell and never return. It's the it's one of the, my most traumatic singing experiences ever, and it lives on, on the internet, and it's... Of course, the internet's forever. I don't even like to talk about it because it's so traumatic, but I'll tell you about it. (laughs) First, let me tell you how the X Factor came to be. So during Adam's family, Evita, I was singing country music as much as I could. And while I was on the road with Wicked, I had we had stopped off in Memphis and I'd visited Nashville. Had a really good friend who was a songwriter and I stayed with him and we worked on some music and I was like, oh, wow, I love this. Like, I really want to do this, you know, at some point. So I kept threatening it, you know, and then I'd book another job. And I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe after this one, I'll go to Nashville. So on my off time, whenever I could, I'd come to Nashville and just work. That was my vacation. And... um. I raised some money and released an album when I was in Evita and Ricky Martin was in my video. If you have any, and a bunch of my Evita castmates, if you have any desire to watch it, it's the Live the Dream music video. It's really cute. I'll put it in the show notes. Okay, it's cute. Yeah, they were really, really sweet to do that. You know, I was like such a green little naive girl about my new singing career. And I'm sure Ricky Martin was like, oh, sweetheart. <laughs> sure I'll be in your music video you know um he was just so kind and generous though and um that was really nice of him so during that time I'm doing all this country music and when I went down to Nashville I had just heard a lot of times from different people in in the industry like if you're serious about this you have to move here and I was like ugh, okay which is the same deal for Broadway you know if you're really serious about it you really have to be in New York It's like, all right, okay, well, I'll think about it. Then um, in like November, my two-year-long relationship ended um, and we got our closing notice for Evita to be like the end of January of 2013. So two major things that were tethering me to the city ended and I didn't have another job like in sight at the time. And the lease was up in my apartment and my roommate wanted to move out. So I was like, maybe this is it. So I decided to go ahead and just make the move. And I moved down to Nashville and just started bartending and um, <laughs> trying, you know, writing and, and recording and doing whatever I could. And then I heard X Factor was auditioning in New York, ironically. Um, in Long Island and I had gone up there to do something else and uh, 
I was like, well, I might as well go. And, you know, they tell you to get there at like six in the morning. I showed up at like noon because I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, that's not going to make for a good day for me. I'll sound like crap by the time I sing. So I got there at noon. I was the last person in line. But they still agreed to see me. And I was the last person to sing that day. And luckily, my friend Will Lacey was, I didn't know him. He wasn't my friend then, but he's now. Um, He was behind the table and he was like, uh, you know, super into, I, I sang somebody to love and I didn't do it because I had some like brilliant country arrangement of it. I did it because it was my pop rock song for musical theater and I knew it really well. And so I just pulled it out. I had a quick like minute cut of it. And so I did that and he was like, wait, have you done Broadway? And I was like, yeah. He's like, I know your name. And I was like, oh, cool. And he's like, sing Defying Gravity. And I was like, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I sang Defying Gravity and he's like, great, you're through. And I was like, okay. And then the next day, I was supposed to come back again at six in the morning. And I got there at like 11. So I was like, I'm not, if this is meant to be, it's going to be meant to be. I'm not going to like ruin my life for these people. So I got there at 11. And they're like, oh, it's fine. Don't worry. And then I was the last person to sing again and got through again. And then they were like, cool, we want you to come back and sing for the judges like on the live show. I was like, or not live, but the, the big audience show. Mm-hmm. So I did that. And honestly, all I could think of the entire time was like, just please don't make fun of me for being on Broadway. Like, just don't say I sound like a Broadway performer and like make fun of me and make me look like a complete idiot. And to my utter shock and surprise, they put me through and they all liked me. And in fact, I talked about all of my Broadway experience on that stage and they edited it all out. Yeah. Really? Yeah. The internet, like a lot of people were like, she's a liar. She's been on Broadway. And I was like, yeah, I told them all. I told the entire audience that, but they cut it for TV because they wanted me to be the bartender from Nashville. But I, I had only been, I had only been a bartender for like two months. <laughs> yeah. That's more the, the underdog story. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So that first one was great. And then we had to go and then we got like, we got cut down to 40 and then the 40 was going to get cut to 16. And the way that that gets done is in the four chair challenge. So each team, there were four teams could only end up with four people in each chair. There were four chairs and there were 10 people on each team. And if they liked you, they'd put you in a chair. And then if they liked somebody else, they could kick you out of that chair and put them in it. So I went fourth. The whole day was like a little bit of Chinese water torture. We were in like this fluorescent lit hallway with um, those folding chairs, those like hard metal folding chairs. They fed us one time. We were there from like 6 a.m. We didn't sing until like 8 p.m. And they had this like radio on that like, you could kind of hear music, but it was also static that they were playing like super, super loud. So nobody could hear what was going on in the, in the arena, like next to us. So it was a little bit of like torture going on. And all day I was kind of like feeling like, oh, have like a little bit of a scratchy throat. Cause I'd been flying and taking red eyes and all this stuff to get out there. And this guy was like, oh, I've got this Zycam stuff it'll make you feel better. You know, it's like stuff for colds. 
Well, come to find out it was like straight zinc, which makes you really nauseous. And I'd hardly eaten, right? So I take like a bunch of these Zycam tablets that I'd never taken before. Kids, do not take medicines that you've never taken before on a very important day when you have to perform. Unlike mm, television. Right. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> so we we go, and there's four teams, and I'm in the over 25 group. And they, of course, they're like, over 25s, you're up first. And I'm like, and they're like, Rachel, you're fourth. And I was like, cool, great. So uh, my hands are sweating and I'm like, you know that feeling you get like where you kind of are queasy and I was like- Get the tingles. Get the tingles of it, yeah. I feel like I'm gonna vomit, but oh well, I'm just nervous, you know? And I just kept drinking water and my mouth was getting really dry and I just kept drinking water and kept drinking water. And then I walk out on the stage and I get that overwhelming- like your mouth starts to water because you're going to throw up feeling. Uh-huh. And my track started. Oh, and I was shit. like, oh my God. So now the goal is not get through to the next phase. The goal is just don't throw up on stage. That's it. <clears throat> so that is the four chair challenge that you watched. <laughs> <laughs> so I go for this big note and my larynx was so high because I was like so, I don't know, nauseous or whatever. And I threw up in my mouth. Oh! It happened. (laughs) I swallowed it and I kept singing. But then afterwards, how in the world do you recover gracefully from something like that? Do you say to a, a huge studio audience, well, you know, I was, everything was going okay, but then I threw up in my mouth. (laughs) <laughs> right right you can't you, know, you just can't Simon's like, Simon's like that was not good and I'm like I know like I'm completely aware that that was not good because I threw up in my mouth but I can't say that out loud on television so I said like I'm sorry I've, I'm just I've been feeling sick all day and I had killed it at rehearsal so what I think potentially happened was that one of the, I saw a bunch of the producers come out and talk to them. And I think they were like, hey, she really did a great job at rehearsal. Keep her in. We want her in the show. And for whatever reason, that episode ended and they didn't kick me out and I made it in the top four. And then I had like this redemption, you know, once we got to the live shows. Um, yeah, real traumatic. Um, I sort of feel like I'm wrong oh. right now just talking about it. I... I know exactly what you're talking about. That mouth watering where you're like, it's coming and I just need to get to a place where I'm not going to be projectile vomiting on somebody and humiliated. Can I tell you the last time that happened to me, I had food poisoning from a Europa on 42nd and 7th. And I was taking the train home, the A train. I lived in Washington Heights at the time. And I had to get out at 181 and I hit the the 145th stop and I was like starting to get tunnel vision and I was getting the sweats and the tingles and I was like, something's not right. And it was crowded. It was rush hour. It was hot. Oh no. And all the worst and, things. And it's all the worst things. And, and I was like, I think I should get out at 168 because I think I'm, no, I can make it one more stop. I can make it one more stop. I'm good. I'm good. And then as soon as the doors opened, at one eighty one, I literally like pushed people out of the way. I swam through the group of people, 
leaned against the wall, fell against the wall of the subway, and just projectile vomited all over the wall <gasps> and the, oh, and the floor. No. And just kind of squat down and was just like, like if you saw Team America, remember that scene from Team yeah. America? That was oh, me no. on the subway platform and nobody stopped. Oh, of course not. Nobody asked if I was of okay. Not. Stepping stepping over my my pool of of mess that I was nice. making. That's so messed up. It was, yeah. Yeah, that was that was the last time I ate at Europa. Yeah, I bet. Wow. <laughs> so oh. I, it was chicken, a chicken panini from Europa. I can remember exactly what it looked like. Gross. But so we're an hour into this interview. Okay. Broadway buskers. You your stories are great, by Thanks. the way. Um Broadway Buskers, it, it's put on by Times Square Alliance, same company that does like the big ball drop and all the other big mm-hmm. events. So normally it's in person. There's a stage. There, it's in, you know in Times Square. They're they're promoting Times Square. Can't do that this year because we're in quarantine. Yeah. So tell for those who don't know, like first of all, tell us what it is to you, and then how did you, how did you get involved with it in the first place? Well, Ben Cameron, who is the host, is an old old friend of mine. You know, he used to host some like night life in New York, like Broadway open mic things and um, cabaret things. So I've known him since I really moved to the city because that's really where I made my friends was I would go to these open mic cabarets all the time. And um, so he asked me to be a part of it. And I said, of course. And uh, it was really fun. We we did that last week and um, it was really cool. I revisited a bunch of my, my solo country music and uh, I was a complete diversion from the other guest who was a, you know, sort of like this very eclectic writer, artist, performer who was incredible. But I'm like, okay, cool. Now I'm going to sing my country songs. (laughs) Um, But it was, it was really neat. I'm glad that they're doing something, you know, to continue to put some artists out there. But I'm sad that I didn't get a chance to do it in person because it's a really neat opportunity that these performers get to go out there in Times Square and sing for the tourists. And it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fun. I've got out there in past years. And um, so in the show notes for this episode too, I'll put, I'll put the link to your video because it's up on, uh, on their YouTube channel mm-hmm. and you can get to them through Facebook and through their website, actually through timesquarenyc.org. Um, but yeah, so, so you're still in, so you were in Nashville doing country music, but then like, as we touched on the very beginning, you decided to move back to New York mm-hmm. to try this again and then move and then move back to Nashville because of quarantine. Yeah. But what was the impetus for trying New York again? Well, I you know, I gave this a really valiant effort here in, in Nashville and I did the solo thing, you know, after X Factor, I put out a, a solo record and I had some awesome write-ups and some different publications and I was I had my video on CMT and things were going great. And then I joined forces with these two really awesome male artists here and we formed a trio called Steel Union. So I kind of tried to use that momentum and turn it into something with this band because the band felt really good and it was like, it, it was just really special and I thought we really had something. And we got really close. You know, we were meeting with labels. I got closer with them than I had by myself. And mm-hmm. we were meeting with labels and publishers and and things were going awesome. And then I got pregnant. And uh, it was pretty cliche. They're like, cool, so call us after the baby comes. <laughs> oh, that's yeah, so, so 
Yeah, therapy. you know, when when boys have babies, nobody seems to notice. But when females do, then of course it the world stops. So um, that was a real bummer. And I thought, and we tried to pick it up afterwards, but ultimately like it does change, you know, and, and my life changed a great deal after the baby came and, and uh, you know, I didn't really necessarily want the same things anymore. And then on top of all of that, I think I would, I would just continue to do regional theater. I had been doing like maybe one regional theater show a year ever since I left New York. And every time I'm like, oh, these are my people. This is, this is like where I belong. I, why don't, why do I fight it? You know? And I was constantly, I maintained an agent and manager in New York and I would still fly up all the time for stuff. And I, you know, got close to a lot of stuff again because my hope was that, okay, well maybe I can book something from Nashville and then I'll have a reason to move. But that never happened. So ultimately I was like, I think this is a, you have to move there if you really want to take the seriously thing again. And so we spent the better part of last year just planning for that and saving. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad I saved money (laughs) because (laughs) I had to spend it all to move cross country twice uh, and and to keep my family afloat for a couple months where, you know, we had made no money at all. Um, So, you know, everything happens for a reason, right? And, uh, and I don't have any FOMO right now because there isn't anything to miss out on at the moment. But I hope that in the future, I'll be able to go back and, you know, we can try again someday when Broadway is back on its feet. It will be back, I think, later than we hope, but it'll come back. It has yeah, to. Yeah, it has to. Like people, people need the stories. People need, you know, go back to chemical release. People need that connection. Mm -hmm. They need the home. Theater is a home for a lot of people, both on and off stage. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people are not going to feel complete again until it's back. No. It's a sad world without art, you know? And it's it's such an enriching part of our culture that I think everybody's struggling without it. So I, I look forward to the day when it's back and we can all feel safe and happy to be in the theater and I'll hope to be there too. Well, me too. I I want to see you. I have never seen you on stage and I want to come back and Thanks. see you. I want you to come back so I can see you on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple reasons. So we'll wrap up here with the three standard closing questions that I always use to wrap up every episode. The first one is what motivates you? Mm, not having regret. Mm, I like that a lot. Thank you. Okay, okay. What advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Hmm. To not invest so much of my self-worth or your self-worth in other people and romantic relationships and to spend a lot of good time alone in learning yourself and getting deep Uh, with yourself and maybe even going to therapy so that romantic relationships don't cause unnecessary detours with your goals. We didn't touch on like you, we didn't touch on the romantic side of your, of childhood. And you mentioned it so many times 
I'm like, oh, that's a story. That's a story. And I feel like there's a whole part two <laughs> to this, whole, <laughs> this yeah. whole side of you that we could get into yeah. next time. So, yes. ne- you know, next time when we were back on the podcast again yeah, we can talk about for your Broadway show, the romantic side. We'll, talk, we'll talk about romance. Okay. So final question sure. then. If you can only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want, what would you see? Oh, no. We're talking musical. Anything you want. Any show. Mm. (laughs) This is going to sound crazy, but Home Alone, the movie. (gasps) It is maybe my favorite movie of all time. And it's, that's so silly. (laughs) It's so cute. There's just, uh, I don't know. I love that movie so much. That's the first thing that popped in my mind. But honestly, but if we're talking about musicals, I just love Wicked so much. I could just watch. I could cute. just watch watch Wicked. I think forever. Original cast or any specific? cast? No, not original cast. Though I do love. I do love Kristen, but um, I don't know. Maybe Stephanie J. Block and Megan Hilty cast. Mm. I, I I love yeah. Megan Hilty's yeah. Glinda. Where. We're Me friends too. now, and I have to pretend like I didn't used to watch her YouTube videos, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. We have, there's been so many people, like young people who get in these shows. You know, when you lived to Adam's family, right? Like if you had been the theater kid getting, getting you know, with Nathan Lane and B.B. North and like going into these shows with these people... You should have freaked out, but you didn't know any better at yeah, the time, yeah. right? Because you didn't know. Well, you didn't I, know I knew them. I but, knew them from movies, so I I did oh, freak right. out about about Nathan Lane and BB Newirth. And BB, you know, she's a she's a strange strange artistic bird, you know. But she was mm-hmm. very protective of me, and I always I always am very grateful for the way that she treated me because she knew she knew I was like real new to this scene and. There was there was one time in particular, and we can talk about this on the next time I'm on the podcast. But <laughs> essentially, this fan convinced the doorman to let him in that he he knew me like that he was my family, and it was a lie. And he mm. like came into the door. He came into my dressing room between shows, and like the first thing he said was, "I'm not going to hurt you." <laughs> oh, okay, now I feel better. Um, and he was fine. He was just like a very excited fan. There was nothing nothing wrong with him. He didn't do anything crazy other than that. But um, she was very protective after that. And she like insisted she drive me home. And like, you know, it was, she was really cool. So like, you know, then I see her on movies afterwards and I'm like, did that happen? Like, seems like a dream. Same with Brooke Shields. You know, she was, when she came into Morticia, I was just like, what is, what is happening? This is so weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, oh God, I, we need to have a part two. There's so much more to talk about. Okay, I could. So, we could have just a just one podcast on all the guests that I met when that Ricky had backstage. Oh, uh, oh, I'm sure. What was the craziest one? J-Lo. Real quick, what was the craziest? J-Lo. What? And I didn't. I didn't oh. even get to get close to her. I just saw her from like ten feet away, and I just stood there and I was like, "How can a person be that beautiful in in real life? Unbelievable." She's just like glows yeah. oh god that's what that's what karen Levin, karen levo said about uh nicole kidman really when yeah just like one of these things just 
you just walk in, like the elegance just follows you into the room yeah. or leads leads into the room. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. So timesquarenyc.org slash Broadway Buskers, Facebook.com slash timesquarenyc, YouTube.com, Timesquare TSQ, where you can get Rachel and all of the other buskers who have performed and are about to perform. Of course, we can find you online at Rachel Potter music.com where else can we get you on on instagram and um, on instagram and twitter i'm at the rachel potter because there's a few rachel potters out there so i'm the rachel potter and um rachel, uh, rachel potter music on facebook and no twitter no on twitter is the is at the rachel potter too they're the same instagram oh, okay okay <laughs> <laughs> cool. So you can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Show your support at thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. You can get me on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friend. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot, music by Jukebox, The Ghost, and Rachel Potter. Thank you most of all to you. This has been such a good episode. I it went It went long. I'm probably going to split it into two parts. I love it. It's fine because your stories are so good. I'm just like, I want to hear so much more about oh your Oh my life. gosh, thank so, you. That's oh, that's an honor that you even yeah. care. So thank you so much. And thanks for having me. And thanks for everybody who's listening. We appreciate you and can't wait to see you in the theater very soon. Amen. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.